Hello, welcome to Black British Girl Talks Crime, Finance, etc. A podcast about crime, finance and other things. Each week I will bring you a true crime story or financial advice or just about life as a black girl in British society. Follow along for true crime stories, tips on budgeting or home ownership and general insight into current events and black British life. Hi everyone, so this is another episode that I've been wanting to do for quite a while and I have been wondering where to do it because it's quite a long-winded one but also it's got so many different undercurrents in it but regardless of that I'm going to cover it and it's the Broadwater Farm riots which happened in London. Um, I was motivated more so to do this after a BBC program aired this week. I'm recording this on the 12th of August and it was about the London riots and they linked it to the Broadwater Farm riots which happened decades before that. So I'm going to link that program as well. So we're going to start with the 5th of October 1985, where Floyd Jarrett at about 1pm was arrested whilst driving in North London and he was taken to nearby Tottenham Police Station and he lived a mile from Broadwater Farm Estate and he was charged with theft and assault. And the key to his mother's house called Cynthia, where Floyd did not live, was obtained by police in order to search his address about 6.30pm. Now, unfortunately, the reason for the search is unclear, although it was authorised. So one theory is that he was caught driving with an out-of-date tax disc. And then one was that he was suspected of driving a stolen BMW. And one was that he had assaulted a police officer whilst under arrest. So we know the facts that he was arrested and charged. And the search was conducted based on rumours from an officer who thought wrongly that Floyd was known for handling stolen goods. So three uniformed police officers, one undercover and even more officers and vehicles were there to search Floyd's mother, Cynthia Jarrett's house near the Broadwater Farm estate at about 6.30pm on the 5th of October 1985. And at the time she was watching TV with her daughter and they didn't find any stolen property. But during the raid, Cynthia had a heart attack and died and her family said she was pushed by a detective constable who continued to search, they continued to search despite the family's pleas for help. And this was denied by the detective constable that he pushed her. The family rang the ambulance from a public telephone and eventually police offered first aid. And a later inquest found that Cynthia had died accidentally and no police officers were charged or disciplined for her death. But the next day on 6th of October, 1985 in the day, Cynthia's Jarrett's family met the police to discuss her death and demanded an inquiry and they made it clear that they did not want any kind of public disorder and the reason for that is probably because this is in the aftermath of the Brixton riots which happened the month before. So the previous week to Cynthia's death on the morning of Saturday 28th September 1985 Dorothy Cherry Gross was shot in the shoulder by police in Brixton at her home and left paralysed and police were looking for her son Michael for attempted armed robbery and this led to the Brixton riots. So after Cynthia's death you can imagine that tensions between police and the especially young black community were really high and the local council leader of Haringey, Britain's first black council leader Bernie Grant, condemned the search and urged the local police chiefs to resign immediately as their behaviour had been out of control. So on the 6th of October, there was a peaceful march to the local police station, which is in Tottenham, and there was a small crowd of people. But despite the call for many peaceful protests to remain calm, violence erupted. 
So riot police, you know, arrived, they tried to clear the streets using baton charges and the youths in the conflict used bricks and petrol bombs and there were so many injuries and as you can imagine, extensive damage to property and vehicles. And there were evening TV news reports that there were shots at the police and officers being treated for gunshot wounds, even journalists were also claimed to have been hit and cars were set on fire, barricades were made and one house was severely damaged by the fire and it was the, on the edge of Broadwater Farm Estate. But the main conflict took place on the, at the centre of Broadwater Farm Estate and many people were injured. So I'm going to just state what happened there. So at 6.45, police were called to Mount Pleasant, Willen Road and Avenue. And once they were there, they were pelted with bricks, bottles, petrol bombs. And as I said, so many car damage occurred and there was looting. And there were actually 500 police with the shields that I described earlier doing the baton charges. So by midnight, 58 policemen and 24 other people have been taken to hospital. So at 9.30pm, police and the London Fire Brigade responded to reports of a fire on the elevated level of Tangmere House. So this block consisted of a shopping level with flats and masonets above it. And the location was a bit away from where the main area of rioting was occurring. And so therefore the people who were policing it were less equipped and less well prepared in terms of disorder training. So the London Fire Brigade came under attack and police, including PC Blakelock, arrived to assist. But the rioting was too intense, intense for police untrained in riot control, and they and the firefighters withdrew chased by rioters. So whilst retreating to safety, PC Blakelock tripped, fell, and was surrounded by a mob. Now the details of his death are truly horrific. So I'm just going to try and summarize it with, you know, minimal, to cause as minimal harm as possible to those who are listening. So he was surrounded by a mob with many weapons and they killed him. Um, you can see that there's a picture of his uniform and it shows sort of a map of all the stab wounds that occurred on his body and there were 40 counted in total and there were eight to his head. PC Richard Coombs you know, he tried to go to rescue his colleague, but he suffered a serious facial injury from one of the attackers when he did this. And the writing tailed off during the night as rain fell and news of the death spread. So afterwards, police in riot gear occupied the estate for two months. They used police dogs, helicopters and surveillance equipment. And for several months after, they arrested and questioned 1400, sorry, 400 people. Over half were young people. And complaints were made by residents that juveniles were deliberately targeted. They were held without being able to communicate with others. They were given no access to solicitors or their families. And those that families were notified were often given misinformation as to where their children were. And the disturbances led to change to police tactics and equipment. And as a result of the riots, they were making efforts to re-engage with the community. But obviously, as you can imagine, with a police officer being killed and so many being attacked, the media was urged to find the culprits. But they faced so many difficulties because they didn't have photographic evidence, they didn't have forensic evidence to identify who was responsible. So the only way they really had to extract information was from eyewitnesses. And a witness to the killing was found. So six people, three juveniles and three adults were charged with the murder of PC Blakelock. And the young people were aged 14, 15 and 13 years old and they were called X, Y and Z. You'll see why they actually were 
had all their cases dismissed, the juveniles, the three juveniles, because the judge ruled the conditions which they had been held were inappropriate and their interrogation was inadmissible. So the conditions that they were held in question by were unacceptable. So why was unheld under interrogation? He said that he kicked and cut the officer and after wiping the knife gave it to someone else. Zed confessed to being given a sword and told to cut the body as he'd seen too much. And Y and Zed later denied that any of what they said was true. But during their interrogations, they both named a man from the estate called Winston as having been involved, who we'll come back to afterwards. So X was held for 40 hours and interviewed five times. Y was held for three days and interviewed six times for a total of 10 hours. He'd been held in isolation for four hours. No solicitor had access to him. His mother wasn't allowed into custody and a teacher was found to act as his appropriate adult. The total length of his interrogation was 15 hours. And during it, he was only 13 years old and was wearing only his underpants and a blanket. He broke down and he cried. He was Ill illiterate, innumerate and had a distinct diminished response diminished ability to recall and remember events and had the mental age of a seven-year-old. Jason Cobham, who identified X, was shown under cross-examination to have lied and had given his evidence to avoid a lengthy prison sentence. So, coming back to a man called Winston, age 26. So, he was questioned by Detective Chief Superintendent Melvin about the use identifying him as a culprit. And you can see what he said on the screen or in the information box, if you're listening on the podcast. And you can see that he was held on suspicion. So in March 1987, three local men, Winston, 26, Engin, 19 and Mark, 20, were convicted of murder and sentenced to life imprisonment. And the jury took three days to convict them. And this was despite no witnesses and no forensic evidence. So the Crown didn't seek to prove who struck the fatal blow. They just proceeded on the basis that this was a joint enterprise murder. The, the Tottenham Three Are Innocent campaign began and the Broadwater Farm Defence campaign pressed for a retrial. So this campaign, they wrote letters, they gained support of other campaigns, they wrote to anyone who might have influence, including the Soviet embassy. They produced newsletters, engaged with the media and a thousand official police pictures of the riots had been taken on October 8th, 1985 as events unfolded and witness Winston was in none of these pictures. So the only thing that counted against him was the statement that he made. So on 25th of November, 1991, so this is years later, all three defendants were cleared by the Court of Appeal when an ESDA test demonstrated police notes of interrogations, the only evidence had been tampered with. So listen to this, this is what was uncovered. Engin was a highly suggestible man who had the mental age of a 10 to 11 year old. The police had interviewed him for hours over several days, denied him to access his solicitor through part of it, and frankly could have made him confess whatever they liked because he was very suggestible. Mark, along with all his other co-defendants at trial, had been interrogated for an excessive amount of time, the majority of which was without a solicitor. He claimed at trial he made the statements he did because of the oppressive conditions. He was tired, hungry, alone and claustrophobic. Winston, experts formed the view that those pages of interview where he challenged the police that they'd never get the kids to court was in fact inserted afterwards and had never been part of the original notes. So they were released after four years in prison except for Winston who remained in prison for the separate murder of another man after a fight in a club, Tony Smith, which occurred in December 1984 in the Tottenham area and he was convicted in February 1986. So he was released on license in October 2003 after serving 18 years in prison 
Um, it was a 14 year recommended minimum having been issued by the child judge. So two police interrogators, Detective Superintendent Graham Melvin and Detective Inspector Maxwell Dingle, were also charged with perverting the course of justice over concerns about fabricating evidence, but they were acquitted in July 1994. And the officer in charge of the interrogation of Winston and the other two men was cleared of perjury in July 2013, however. Nicholas Jacobs was charged with the murder of PC Blakelock and four other men arrested at the same time were not charged, but on 9th of April 2014, Nicholas was cleared of all charges. So currently, a force spokesman said the investigation to the murder of PC Blakelock remains open. So I would highly suggest watching that program so you can see how there are correlations between conditions in which the Broadwater Farm riots occurred and the London riots which occurred actually almost three decades after this. So I would like to quote the many sources I use, which was BBC, Wikipedia, thejusticegap.com, isepartners.com and a journal article called Imagery and Reality in the Broadwater Farm Riot by Martin Loney, published in October 1986. Get your fix every week by subscribing to Black British Girl Talks wherever you get your podcasts. Any pictures or further information concerning each episode will be on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Black British Girl Talks. And as always, if you have any questions, DM on Instagram. Until next time, goodbye.